Well, good morning, Life Fellowship, and happy new year. Before I get going on my sermon, you know, one of the Bible, one of the things the Bible teaches us is to give honor to whom honor is due. And there's one person in our church that has really gone above and beyond. He led a missions trip. He led a choir concert here. Uh, he's decorated the stage. He's done so much in the last six weeks, and I believe he deserves some extra attention. Could you give a hand to Jason Lanier, our worship pastor? He's done... Our, our entire team has done just an amazing job, but I just I felt like I just want to honor him this morning and make sure if you see him, I know he doesn't go out in the lobby a lot, but shoot him an email, a text, or a message him on Facebook. Just let him know how much you've been blessed by his ministry over the last month. Um, when I was a, you know, when, when my kids were younger, one of the things that we would do is we'd always, uh, I'd go into my kids' rooms and we we I would tell a Bible story and we'd pray. It was kind of like our good night routine and. And um, there was a time in, in the, my former church where I preached through the entire Bible in a year. It was really an amazing experience. And during that time, I would always have a new story to tell because I was reading so much of the Bible. To read it in a year, you're always coming across new stories. And so uh, I was telling them all these different stories every year but, uh, or every night. And then, uh, but occasionally, we'd get to the point where I'd say, okay, what story do you want me to tell? Because they've heard lots of stories before. And I'd always have one, there's always two stories that they would always want me to retell. The one story was Balaam and the talking, talking donkey. That was always one of their favorites. And the second one was, I had one son that was like, tell the story of Jesus whipping people in the temple again. <laughs> like he just loved the idea of Jesus getting angry at people and throwing over tables. He just loved that story. And, and the story that we're going to be reading and studying this morning is the story of Jesus turning over the tables in the temple. And it's a story that for many of us, maybe it's kind of, it, it feels like it's outside the orbit of what we're typically see Jesus as. I remember, uh, if you listen to the podcast, I remember uh, I shared this in, in 1984, I got my first uh, Bible NIV. And I remember this Bible it was a white Bible. And on the cover was Jesus petting a lamb like this. You know, just like, he was just this beautiful, you know, this nice-looking, kind, gentle person. And I think, whether you watch movies about Jesus today, I always like seeing how modern-day portrayals of Jesus are. Most people don't ever capture Jesus in the temple getting angry. Because... An anger, the anger of God, I believe, makes us as a, in our culture, very uncomfortable. And yet the anger of God, anger is one of the ways in which God shows his love. You know, if someone attacked your wife or your children or your spouse or someone that you loved, you, if someone was, was going to physically assault them, there would be something welling inside of you to say, no, that isn't right. I'm going to, I'm going to attack back to protect Anger is not necessarily a sin. It's, it's, there's a wrong kind of anger, and there's a righteous kind of anger. And what we have to remember is that Jesus showing anger was a good thing in this moment. And so I want us to take a deeper look into this text because Jesus gets angry at the temple. He gets, I mean, it's, it's imagine someone getting angry at church. This is something that we don't see. And typically, there's only a handful of times that Jesus got angry when we read about the story of his life. And so we know that Jesus didn't have an anger problem, or just Jesus didn't have a temper. He wasn't yelling at his disciples constantly, and the disciples were like, well, there he goes throwing things again. No, Jesus saved his anger for very specific reasons. And there's a reason why Jesus got angry that I think is really important. 
And the reason he gets angry, as, as Melanie read in the text this morning, in Luke chapter 19, which is where we're going to be, is he gets angry because this, the temple, the place of worship where the, the people of God, the, the, the Jewish people are gathering, it's no longer a place of prayer. It's a place to make money. It's a profit center. And Jesus got angry because he says, he could have said a lot of things. I want my house to be called a house of worship. I want my, place, my house to be called a house of teaching. I want my house to be called a house of truth. There's a lot of words and there's a lot of practices that Jesus could have said in that moment when they were corrupting the worship of Yahweh in the temple. And he, he, he narrows in on one specific thing. He says, my house should be called a house of prayer. Wow, that is significant. Jesus wants his house to be a house of prayer. And when we say that, when we say house, Jason mentioned this in his prayer, we understand that we no longer observe the Old Testament laws. We no longer have a central place of worship like the temple. We as the church, the people of God, we are the spiritual temple. Many times in the New Testament, uh, there's this analogy to no longer a physical location that we have to go to to worship, but we ourselves, the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. We are temples of the Holy Spirit. First Peter talks about us being these living stones built up into this, this place of, of worship. And so, so there's this idea, this picture now that we as the church, not just this, this room or this building that we're gathering in, but we as the people of God, we should be a house of prayer. This is important to Jesus. And the question I, I want to start with and asking you is, is it important to you? Is prayer important to you? When I think about the American church today, what churches are known for today, there, there's a lot of things that, that, you know, the churches in town, what is that church known for? What is this church, church known for? You know, some churches are known for their, for their political stances, some churches are known for their preaching. That's a good thing. Some churches are known for their worship. They're, they're amazing. Oh my goodness, you should go to the, the worship is unbelievable. Some, some churches are known for their programs and how they help families. Some churches are known for their benevolence and how they help the poor. But the question I want to ask you is, how many churches in America today are known as places of prayer? That we think of when we choose a church to attend, how many of us choose to attend a church because of prayer? This was a priority to Jesus, and it should be a priority to us. The question is why? Why was this such a priority to Jesus? And so we're going to look at two reasons why this was a priority. Two reasons from the text here that, that, that Luke explains. And so if you turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 19, we're going to be there. And, and the reason I included, you know, to give the broader scope of what's going on here, you know, Jesus has just, he's entered the final week of his ministry. He's, enter, he's just done the triumphal entry. He has just gone in, the people of Hosanna, and, and you would think there's, there's something special that Jesus is about to do. And there's only this portion in Luke where it talks about Jesus weeping over Jerusalem as he's approaching it. And then he goes into the temple and clears it out. Now, this is the second time that Jesus did this. Jesus, Jesus um, you know, there's a, uh, there's a first time that we read about in John chapter 2 that with the beginning of his ministry, Jesus clears out the temple. And this is the final time he does it. And so we see here Jesus cleaning out 
clearing out the temple. And I want us to read again in verse 45. It says, He entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold, saying, It is written, My house should be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. And he was teaching daily in the temple, and the chief priests and the scribes and the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him. But they did not find anything they could do, for all the people were hanging on his words. We see this scene in all the, in the rest of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and here in Luke. And there, there's something that Jesus, when he's saying, my house should be called a house of prayer, why? Why is this a priority to Jesus? And the first reason is this. Number one, to align our hearts with his. To align our hearts with his. I find it fascinating that, that Jesus is the only person out of hundreds and thousands of people that were at the temple that got angry at this. He got so angry that he, he, he went above, you know, where he, we know he had a complete authority, but in the earthly authorities, he said, I don't care what people say or think, this is what I'm doing. You know, when, when he, there's other times when he's with his disciples when they're in the temple area, and one of the things that the, says that the disciples are like, hey, Jesus, isn't this pretty impressive? Look at these buildings. And he's like, there's not going to be one stone standing on this, in this building one day. Don't get caught up in the impressiveness of buildings in your attempt to worship me. Je- Jesus, Jesus was the only one who saw what was going on in the temple and said, I've got to do something about it. The religious leaders, the priests, the, the, the Levites, the Pharisees, the, the, the high priests, no one saw what was going on and said that something must change. Jesus was the one who saw what was not happening and said, this needs to stop and this needs to start. And I think for us in our lives today, prayer is one of those things that, that we can look at and say, yeah, I should be praying more. But is it a priority for us the way it was for Jesus? Jesus, the reason why Jesus got so angry, he says there, you know, my house should be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Let me explain to you what was going on. So in that time, uh, the the temple that was built in Jerusalem, people would have to travel all around the the known Roman world to Jerusalem at some very key uh, moments in the in the year, especially if you were a, a God-fearer or a Jew. And that one of the big times was Passover. Passover was a very important time for people to come and to worship God because it was to remember the Exodus. And so everyone would come to the temple, and what you would do is there would be a sacrifice that you would give. And here's how the temple worked, and here's uh, what they what the, the high priest decided to do. And this was a couple generations before Jesus, but he said, listen, we don't want those Roman coins in there with Caesar's face coming in this temple because this is holy ground. And so you've got to do a currency exchange for where you are in the Roman world, and you've got to exchange your currency for the temple currency, which is the shekel. And so what they did was they had a currency exchange tables there that was, that was outlandish. It was just something that was, that, that, that the, the exchange rate was not typical. Okay, it's kind of like this. If you've ever traveled abroad and you go to another country, don't ever go to those currency exchange places, those booths in the, in the airport. Okay, they will rip you off. Because you all know, let's just say we're going to Europe and the euro is, you know, American dollars like 90 cents to one euro. If you go to one of those places, they'll give you 80 cents, right? They'll give you an exchange rate of 80 cents to a euro. Why? Because they're trying to make a profit. 
The best way to do go to an ATM. That's all you got to worry about, right? You just deal with your bank kind of things. But these people, these exchange rates, they were, they were astronomical. So all of a sudden, people were losing money to have to worship God. And the second thing was this. You could only buy the animals that the high priest approved. And so you couldn't bring your own sheep. You couldn't bring your own animal because it might not be clean. It had to be approved by the high priest. And so you had to buy the animals there in the, in the courtyard to make sure that it was an approved animal. And what they would do is they would jack the price up of these animals. For example, a dove. A dove is what was offered. You could offer a dove if you were really poor. And let's say out in the regular marketplace, a dove would, would equal about 10 cents. In the temple, it would be worth $10. It's kind of like when you go to a sporting event or you go to a movie theater and you're like, I just bought a quart of popcorn for $10. But the smell, I mean, I, I, it's like 25 cents of popcorn. But in that movie theater, it magically turns to $10. And, and this is what they were doing, but they were doing it in the very name, the very place where God says, this is where my name will dwell. And Jesus was looking at what was happening, taking advantage of poor people, taking advantage of the worshipers that had traveled for hundreds of miles to go and to give their offering. And what it was doing, imagine that being your experience at church. We're going to have a little turnstile gate there. you got to pay to come in here. And if you don't, you're going to miss out on God's blessing. There are things that they were doing that Jesus found disgusting. And he said, something has to change. And he was willing to risk his life because notice, notice verse 47, the chief priests and the scribes and the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him. Why were these people trying to destroy Jesus after he turned over the tables? Because their profit was at stake. Listen, don't underestimate the, the, the evil that will come from the love of money. The Bible teaches this. And it can even happen within religious environments. And so Jesus was saying, no, what, what matters to me, the priority of prayer, this is what it's about, and you've made it into a profit center, and something's got to change. And that's why he got angry. And the question, you know, as we think about, are we aligning our hearts to God? I wonder how many of us care about prayer, care about worship the way Jesus does. You see that there's, there's so many things that, that we could we could make church into. And we got to make sure that we don't change, make church into, this is about me. This is about what I want. Jesus was saying, I want, when you come to gather and you come to worship me and you come to represent me, I want you to represent the fullness of the purity of who I am. See, the reason Jesus, notice Jesus, there's two emotions that Jesus has in this passage. And, and prior to him entering the temple, he weeps over the city of Jerusalem. Jesus shows compassion in this moment. And then in, in the next moment, he's in the temple and he's throwing over tables and he's saying, get out of here. You're ruining the worship. You're, you're, this is a place to, be a, this place to be called a place of prayer. And you turn into a den of robbers. Notice the compassion and the anger. Where is this coming from? It's coming because his heart was, heart, Jesus' heart was aligned with the Father's. And what, he, what we've got to do is ask ourselves, is our heart aligned with Jesus's in this passage? I find it so interesting that Jesus had compassion for the lost. He looks at Jerusalem and he weeps. 
He weeps over the lostness of the city, saying, I just wish that, that you would come to me like a mother hen with her chicks. There is a desire, there is a love, there is a compassion that Jesus had. He said, when I look at the lostness, when I look at the world, I desire them to be close to me. And yet Jesus changed, saved his anger for the religious people that were misrepresenting him. See, I, I think what we do today is we reserve our anger for the world. Oh, I don't like this sinner. I don't like these people that aren't like me, that don't have my values. Do we have the heart of Christ? And when people misabuse, or when people abuse and misuse the name of Jesus, do we shrug our shoulders? Oh, well. I believe what prayer does, prayer changes things. I believe that. But the first thing that prayer changes is us. Prayer changes you. And, and so what prayer, the reason why we're doing this 21 days of prayer is because I believe what we need to be doing when we come into this environment on a, on a weekly basis, I think there's a lot of times we come in here with our own agendas, our own expectations, our own desires. And when we come to God and say, God, what do you want? Prayer aligns our hearts to his. And prayer, when we do that together as a church, when we are focused on praying together, we, God will align not only our hearts to his, but he will align our hearts with each other. And I believe that it will bring a unity to our church if we are saying, God, what do you want? God, you change the way I feel. God, you change the way I see things. God, help me to see the lostness the way you see lostness. Help, help me to have the emotions and the responses the way you have them because, God, I don't want to do this on my own. I don't, want, I don't want to just live for my agenda, doing my own thing. There's an alignment to the heart of Jesus that prayer produces, and that's why we're doing 21 days of prayer. That's the first reason. The second reason is this. It's to increase our faith in his power. Not only do we have to align our hearts with his, with Jesus' heart, but, but I believe that Jesus says, I want this house to be a house of prayer because he wanted to increase the faith of his people in his power. Now, Jesus in this moment, when he says, it is written, whenever Jesus ever says it is written, it's because it's going back to a previous text in the Old Testament. So he says, it is written that my house should be called a house of prayer. Where is that found in the Old Testament? Well, it's found in Isaiah chapter 56. And I want you to turn there with me, Isaiah chapter 56. If you have your Bibles or your apps on your phone, Turn to Isaiah 56 because I believe to understand what Jesus is saying in this moment, you have to read Isaiah 56 because Jesus is giving his vision. He's saying, this is what I want my house. Here's what I want my temple. Here's what I want my people to be about. Here's what I want them to experience. And we see in Isaiah 56 this vision that Jesus is proclaiming in the temple. And look what he says. Look, look what it says. We're going to read the first eight verses. It says, thus, now, now before I begin this, Isaiah is really, is a, is a beautiful book. It's one of the longest books in the Bible. And um, there are 66 chapters. The first, four, or first 39 chapters are really focused on, uh, you know, the condemnation of the way that Israel had lived and saying, you're going to be judged for all of these sins. But don't worry, there's, there's little speckles of hope in the first part of Isaiah. The second part of Isaiah, chapters 40 and on, are predominantly hope. 
It is all about this is what God, this is what Yahweh is going to do to restore his people to himself and to bring his kingdom here on earth. Jesus quotes Isaiah a lot in his ministry. And he quotes the, a lot of times the second half of Isaiah to show you, I'm doing a new thing. I'm here to restore the Israel, restore the people of God to myself. And so pick this up in chapter 56. It says, Thus says the Lord, Keep justice and do righteousness, for soon my salvation will come and my righteousness be revealed. Blessed is the man who does this and the son of man who holds it fast who keeps the Sabbath, not profaning it, and keeps his hand from doing evil. So there's this, there's this promise of God's blessing to say, if you will follow me and obey me and do the things the way I want you to do them, there's a blessing to await you. But, but it's a blessing that's beyond our comprehension, because look what else it says. Verse 3, Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, Everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all people. The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel declares, I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. There's a reason why Jesus quoted Isaiah 56. Notice in this text, there are two kinds of people that Isaiah says that God will transform, that God will bless in amazing ways. The two kinds of people are foreigners and eunuchs. Now, each of these people are severely limited in what they are able to do. First is, as a eunuch, we know just physically they are not able to have children. And so, and so the blessing of be fruitful and multiply, it, it just cannot happen to them. And then the foreigner, the foreigner that comes to God, but yet he's always looked at upon as you're not really Jewish. You're a foreigner. And even in the temple in, those, in, in Jesus' day, there was a te- there's a courtyard of the Gentiles basically saying, you can come this far, but there's, there's, a, close, there's a closeness, there's an intimacy, there, 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 there's a there's a better level of getting closer to Yahweh that you cannot attain to. And so in this passage, what God thus says the Lord, this is what God is saying. For the people who feel like I have no future, I I cannot pass on my name to other children so so my name will be passed on. And for the people who are saying, man, I can only get so close to God, but because of my heritage, I just can't go. Jesus, or God calls them, look at verse 8, the Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel. These are the people that, that really say, I'm limited from experiencing the fullness of God. God is saying this, no, there's a greater way. I'm going to do something that, that I was going to give you a greater blessing. I'm going to, to the eunuch, I'm going to give you something better than sons and daughters. I will give you a name that is everlasting. 
To the foreigner, I'm not just going to bring you into the, the holy place. I will bring you to the holy mountain, Mount Zion. He's saying, that I'm going to give you the greatest kind of intimacy that you can ever experience. This is what God is saying in this passage. I am a God who makes the impossible possible. That is what God is saying here. And when Jesus is saying, my house shall be called a house of prayer, what he's saying is this, you have lost the vision for what God intends this place to do. The reason I want my house to be called a house of prayer is because I love doing the impossible. Remember last week when we read the story of, of, of Mary. And, and remember, Mary's like, how is this going to happen that I'm going to birth a child, I'm going to conceive a child with the Holy Spirit? And, and the angel explains it to her. And what does he say at the end? The last thing he says, for nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. And what Jesus proclaims, my house shall be a house of prayer. It's aligning, not only aligning our hearts, but it's recapturing our imagination to say, do you believe that God is able to do the impossible? Do you believe that? See, there are some... There are some impossible, there are some, there are some things in all of our lives, it's like these eunuchs. And there are some, as Jesus said, there are some eunuchs that man-made, there are some eunuchs that just happen naturally. But, but when you look at physically speaking, it feels like it's an impossibility for me to have children. For these foreigners, it just feels like there's, there's a distance there. And, and there are things that are, are happening in all of our lives. Something's going on in your life right now that to look at it through the lens of my human experience, Man's power, man's ability, this thing that's going on in my life or my family, it feels like it's impossible. It feels like there's just no hope. It feels like there's just nothing's ever going to change. See, God loves to take this, this rea the reality of humans and saying, I can change, I can transform, I can renew, I can revolutionize where you're at. No matter what the impossible is in your life right now, what God reminds us is that in and through prayer, God can change the world. And we've got to recapture that, that belief that prayer changes things. Yeah, prayer changes us, but do we believe that God has ordained prayer as a means by which he accomplishes his will? That's why we're going to pray. And I think a lot of times we, as the American church, we think if, I, if we have enough money, we can do these things. Money's great. Praise God when, if, when we all give and we have resources to use. But we will not see the world change with, with more money. We will not see the world change if we have greater people um, you know, giving their talents and gifts. Those are all wonderful things. There are a lot of things that are good that we do, but they are not going to move heaven and earth and change from the impossible to the possible. God has ordained prayer as the supernatural means of saying, listen, you do things my way. And God has ordained prayer as the, as the way in which he accomplishes his will. We, we are not the experts of how God works and moves. We just aren't. And so we cannot say, God, you gotta, you gotta adapt my ways to how you accomplish this. No, we gotta submit to his ways because he's the expert. And when he says, my house should be a house of prayer, it's because he says, this is how I want things done. You start with prayer. And, and you know, I, I think about, and, and my, I am not a mechanic at all. We have a good friend, his name is Steve. 
who lives down the road from us, and he, um, he's, he's worked on our cars for years, and, and he has literally saved us hundreds of dollars. He's, just, he's so good. He's so honest. And um, he only works on Hondas, and that's one of the main reasons I buy Hondas, because I know I'm never going to get taken advantage of, because I got my friend Steve. And so Steve, uh, you know, every once in a while we'll bring a car to him, and, because I only know how to do a couple things. I know how to replace a battery. I know how to put gas in the car. And that's about it. But I'm not a car person. I'm not a mechanic. And so if something's wrong, I take it to him. And when Steve says, hey, this is what you need to do with your car, I typically am like, okay, you're the expert. You, you know these vehicles. You know Hondas better than anyone I know. And so if you're telling me this is what I should do with my vehicle, let's do it. I'm not going to say, well, let me think about it. Let me do my own research. No, Steve's the expert. I'm not. And so whatever he says, this is, how you should, this is what you should do with your vehicle. That's what I'm going to do because I trust him. I have faith in him. How much more? How much more? The God of heaven and earth, the creator of all things, the one who conquered sin and death on the cross. When he says, my house should be called a house of prayer, how can we turn aside and say, that's optional? That's optional. No, no, prayer. Let's, let's begin first with prayer. The reason why we're doing this 21 days of prayer is because I... I, I believe God wants to do something. I, I want to see God do the supernatural in my life, in my family. I want to see God do the supernatural here at Life Fellowship Church. I want to see God do the supernatural in Lake Norman. I want to see God do the supernatural in, in, in my nation. I want to see God do the supernatural across the world. I want to see God do something. And I believe this, that when, when God moves... If you pull the cord, whenever you see a movement of God, a movement of the Holy Spirit, if you pull the cord of, of the movement of God and you keep pulling it where to begin, you will find it planted in the root of prayer every single time. The revival of Scotland in the 1600s, rooted in prayer. The Great Awakening in England and here in the United States began with prayer. The Welsh revival of the early 1900s began with prayer. The revival in, in South Korea in the 1970s, began with prayer. Every single time you see the hand of God move to transform sinners to saints, to change the world, it always finds its roots in prayer. And so we as a church, why would we not pray? Why don't we pray? You know, one of the things that I said from the very beginning when we announced our vision, Vision Sunday, Right? So why do we exist so that every man, woman, and child in Lake Norman and beyond has the opportunity to hear and respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ? And I said in that moment, this is a vision that is impossible for us to do alone. And that if we're going to see this vision become a reality, we need the power of God. And the, and the way that we, we connect to the power of God is through prayer. And so we are going to pray because I believe God wants to do something. I want God not just to change us, but to change our community, to transform our church and to transform us. And so that's why we're praying. That's why we're starting this 21 days of prayer for this next year to say, God, we want increase our faith in your power to do the impossible. Because there are things going on in our lives 
that we don't know how man can fix, but God can. So, application. I'm going to give you a couple things for us to apply. I'm going to invite you to do. The first one is this. I would encourage you to dedicate yourself dedicate yourself to read and pray through the 21 days of prayer book. If, if you, uh, We have a few copies left. I believe we've handed out close to over 300 already, uh, one for every family. Um, we still have some remaining out in, in the guest services, so you can get that as you leave here today. And, and here's the way the book is outlined. It has a, a, a short devotional that the, the person who, the author Dave Early wrote, and then the prayer. And so what we're going to encourage all of you to do is to read that little devotional and pray that prayer throughout the day. I've already gone through this, this book one time. I went through it in the fall. And let me tell you, it was, it was a spiritually renewing time for me. I loved it. It was great. And I hope that you will, this will, be, you will experience the same thing that I did. And so dedicate yourself to read and pray through the 21 days of prayer book. Number two, pray with others. I believe this is more than just I'm going to pray. Pray with your family. Pray with your small group. You know, even if you don't have a group that you meet with, maybe you start a group saying, hey, let's just get, get together and let's just pray. Let's talk about what this, this, these prayers that we're reading about. What's the one that's impacting you the most? But pray with others. I think when we enhance, we enhance our prayer life, when we pray not just with ourselves or with ourselves to God, but when we pray with others. So that's my second, second application is find ways, opportunities, environments for you to pray with more people than just yourself. Number three, sign up for the daily emails. These are going to be really good to help keep you focused, keep you connected to the... There, there's, there are literally, um, I can't remember how many churches, hundreds of churches across the world that have signed up to go through this 21 days of prayer. And so we're joining not just us as a church, we're literally joining the people of God across the world. And, and so I want you to make sure that you sign up for that. If there's a QR code, and it's on the back of our book, and if you don't have the book, get out your phones right now. We're going to put the QR code on the screen. Now, don't fill out the entire thing, but if you scan that code right there with your phones, you can get out your phones right now and scan it if you want. Um, you can fill up, make sure that you fill out the form to receive the daily emails. Because I think they will be a blessing to you. They're, they're going to be doing some events, the 21 Days of Prayer org. What they're going to be doing is they'll be having some actual prayer meetings on, on Facebook Live across you know, different places. That you, However much you want to connect to that, that's up to you. I just want to give you the opportunities to feel like this is more than just our church. There's something bigger that God's doing. I want you to feel connected to that. So that's number three. Number four. Number four. Ask God, ask God to align your heart and to increase your faith. Ask God to align your heart to his and ask God to increase your faith for nothing is impossible with God. I believe if we really believe that, if we genuinely believed the angel's words to Mary, for nothing is impossible for God, we would pray. We would pray more. We would pray more frequently. That's number four. Number, number five, would you pray for the future direction for our church? Pray for the future direction of our church. One of the things that I just think is so cool is that we're going to have this 21 days of prayer, and the next day, the elders are going to go away for a week to, to, to 
you know, hear from God saying, God, what's next for our church? This is, we do this every year. We go away and we say, God, what is next for us? And I can't think of a better way to have the tailwind of prayer behind us than when we gather together that we are ready to hear from God. Listen, this is, whatever happens in this church is not because Ben Rudolph wants it or the elders had this great idea or we went to this conference, we saw this church doing this thing. No, no, what we want to do is we want to be so in tune with the Holy Spirit that whatever we do, we're saying, this is from God. God desires this for us. And so I'm asking you to pray for that as we get ready to go away as, as a group of leaders in three weeks. And then number six, join us on the 21st. So, so three weeks from today, we're going to be, we're going to be having a, a, a prayer meeting in the evening. And uh, I am so excited about this. We are going to ask you to fast and pray throughout the day of the 21st. We're going to gather together as a church because after 21 days of focused prayer, I, I'm just so excited to see what spirit we have in here of expectation, of faith, of saying, God, we want to see you do something. We're going to come in here and we're going to pray. And we're going to break our fast with communion that night and then have a meal uh, afterwards as a church body to fellowship to get together one, with one another. And so I, I hope that you will make it a priority on the evening of the 21st at 5.30, come here and be a part of our, our, our prayer gathering. One of the things I'm also going to do, I explained on the video, but on next, for the next three weeks, I will be preaching on the prayer of that day. So next week, guess what prayer I'm, pre- I'm preaching on? And I swore to myself I would never preach on this prayer because it was so like the hip, cool thing to do 20 years ago. I'm preaching on the prayer of Jabez next week. Okay? It just fell on the 7th, and so I'm preaching on the prayer of Jabez next week. I know I will not do a good, a, as good of a job as David Wilkerson, but hey, I'm going to preach on something I've never preached on before. I can't wait to, to do this. So, so come for the next three weeks. Dedicate yourself, not just to praying every single day, praying through the prayers, but being here on Sundays to immerse yourself in a season of prayer saying, God, what do you want? I'm listening. I'm here. I'm available. Just imagine Just imagine in 21 days how different you're going to be. Just imagine in 21 days how different this church is going to be if we commit to being a house of prayer. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Leaving here today, this morning, I want to end with a question, the same question I began the sermon with. How much of a priority is prayer to you? How much of a priority? It was a, is a priority for Jesus when he went into that temple. He overturned the money changers because they had changed the place of worship into a profit center. He said, no, no, I want this place to be a place of prayer. Oh, that we would have the same priority as our Savior. And whatever priority that maybe you have that's above prayer right now, would you just lay that before the Lord and say, God, you take this. I've, tr- I've tried to make this, I've tried to make your house, I've tried to make church into something where, that's about me, what I like, my tastes, my desires. Lord, align my heart to yours. Increase my faith in your power. 
and change me. Father, I pray right now as we get ready to leave here today to start a new year, to start this new initiative of prayer. God, I pray that something more would happen in our hearts than we can even ask or imagine. God, we're not praying because it's nice. We're not praying because, you know, it's something that would be good for us. It's, it's a healthy discipline. No, God, we're praying because, Jesus, you asked us to be a house of prayer. And, God, we want to see the impossible become possible. So, God, increase our faith and align our hearts in ways that we need right now. And may we lift up the name of Jesus. We pray these things in your precious name. Amen.